thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Mums the Word listeners, very excited to have you join us, but more so excited because I've got a great guest on today, Emma Pickett. I originally came across her work when one of her blog posts was shared in my feed, and then I uh, continued on to share it on the Mums the Word Facebook page, and it got so many likes and shares, I thought, well, this is a message that has to get out there, and I'm going to ask her to be on the show, and uh, she said yes, which was amazing. So uh, she's more than qualified, as you'll see from her bio, to be talking to us about making breastfeeding work and also accepting the natural. Emma Pickett initially trained with the Association of Breastfeeding Mothers in the UK, qualifying as a breastfeeding counsellor with them in 2007. She became an IBCLC, International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, in 2011 and recertifies this year with more than 120 hours of additional education in lactation. She's also chair of the Association of Breastfeeding Mothers, a UK charity training breastfeeding counsellors and running two national helplines. In 2015, she published her book, You've Got It In You, A Positive Guide to Breastfeeding. I love that name. She blogs at emmapickettbreastfeedingsupport.com, which will be in the show notes. And in the last 12 months, her website has had more than 1.6 million page views. You can find her also on Twitter at Makes Milk. And uh, I'm just, yeah, ecstatic to have her on the show. So enjoy the episode. Emma, I'm so excited to have you on the show from the other side of the world. Please tell the listeners all about yourself. Thanks, Karen. It's good to be here. Um, my name is Emma Pickett, and I live in North London in the UK, and I am a lactation consultant. So I'm also chair of the Association of Breastfeeding Mothers, the ABM. We're one of the four breastfeeding charities in the UK. Um, so I'm a chair of that organization on a voluntary basis and, and train other breastfeeding counsellors and mother supporters and volunteer on the National Breastfeeding Helpline. And then I have a teeny weeny private practice alongside that as a private lactation consultant. I say teeny weeny because the voluntary stuff takes up much more of my time. Um, I also do drop-in groups in North London um, and home visits and email and Skype support. Um, but basically, I support women who want to breastfeed and people who want to breastfeed to help them to reach their goals and to make it work. And that takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> that's pretty much just, if you just focus on the people who want to breastfeed, that takes up all the time you have. Um, also, as part of my work, through the ABM. I do some national advocacy as well. Um, so attending meetings in the House of Commons and, and talking to um, strategists and, and people who have a say in, in national policy as well. And somewhere in there, you also write an amazing blog, which is how I found you. Oh, that's very kind. Yeah. So on my website, my sort of professional website, I have a, a bit of a blog where I write some articles that I, f I really wish people knew about before I started my, you know, my work with them. It's one of those things where if, you know, if everybody knew how to deal with the first couple of weeks of breastfeeding, if everybody knew what low milk supply really looks like and when they don't have low milk supply um then that would you know that might would go a long way so it was really to save myself a job i wrote some articles that i could link people to 
Um, and they've, they've done really well. I've had um, about 1.7 million views in the last 12 months on my website and uh, lots of sharing across the world, which I, I'm very, very grateful for. And I've had lots of lovely feedback um, from people who've been you know, very grateful. And no, it's been great. It's been really good. So I've been asked to do various projects off the back of the blog. And I decided to write a book as well, um, just to expand some of the messages that came in my blog. And that, that came out in December, January. And that's that's going well too. So yeah, I am. Um, I do enjoy writing. It's something that I think is a uh, is a really great way, especially with the, obviously social media and the internet. So a great way to communicate with mums and um, and yeah, something I really enjoy. So thank you for mentioning that. Oh no, that's okay. And at the end, when um, we get all your details, I'll get you to give all the details of the book so I can put it in the show notes as well. And okay. And and how how's there to know that um, writing a vlog is going to end you up on a podcast uh, on the other side of the world? That well, it's there globally <laughs> on iTunes, of course. But uh, yeah, you never know how far-reaching things will be. So um, I'd love to hear about how you got into the work that you're doing, actually. Okay, so I um, I'm 44 years old, and I started life. Um, as a primary school teacher in London. So I finished my degree and decided to train as a primary school teacher, came to central London. I wanted to work in kind of an inner city environment and did that for about nine years um, and finished up as a, as a deputy head. I think people would call that a vice principal in other parts of the world. Um, but when I had my kids, I knew that I would struggle to go back to full-time work as a primary school teacher. I was doing about a 60-hour week. Um, I, I just knew it would be difficult to combine that with being the kind of mum I, I wanted to be. So was lucky to have the option to retrain. And when I had my son, who's now coming up for 12, um, it was pretty obvious pretty quickly that that breastfeeding support really wasn't there in the way it needed to be. Not, not because I personally suffered. I was pretty lucky with my own breastfeeding experience, but just watching the people around me, my next door neighbor being one of them, just, just watching women who desperately wanted to breastfeed, trying to make it work, really struggling just to get access to the support that they needed. So, you know, the NHS in the UK is, is fantastic. I mean, we're so proud of it, but, you know, it is very difficult for everyone to get the support that they need when resources are stretched. And our midwives who come to our homes and do home visits have, you know, got to fit in you know, a dozen women in a day and they don't have time to sit with someone for an hour and, and really talk through all their breastfeeding problems. And, and I became the person that my local friends would come to to ask about breastfeeding because I'd read lots of books and I was you know, really, really keen on making it happen. And then I thought, well, hang on, if I'm the one answering these questions, I probably should get some training going on. So I, I did some training with the ABM, who I now chair, um, and chose that particular charity because they offer some distance learning so you don't have to have time away from your baby you can do it um you know during nap time and, and in the evenings and then qualified with them um to become a breastfeeding counselor and then just kind of carried on really so after breastfeeding counselor the next step would become becoming a board certified lactation consultant which is an ibclc um, you can qualify for that um, by doing two exams and after a thousand hours of contact time and you know, another 90 hours of education so became an ibclc in 2011 and just just recertified this year for another five years and then i'll have to take the exam again um, 10 years after i first took the exam and um, yeah so it was just really a sense that people weren't getting the support that they needed and there's a big gap you know in what people are asking for in the uk you know you might have seen there was a report that came out um 
recently that said, you know, we are the country with the lowest breastfeeding rates in the world at 12 months. It was us and Saudi Arabia and, and Australia do a lot better than us in, in terms of breastfeeding rates. You know, at six months, we have 1% of babies being exclusively breastfed. And that's, you know, the Department of Health recommendations is is 1% is, you know, obviously to exclusively breastfeed for, for six months. And we've only got 1% managing it. And we've got 33% doing any breastfeeding at six months. Um, and the cut at the drop-off rate is really huge as the weeks go by we've got about 80 percent of women giving up in the first two weeks who didn't want to um you know it's a bit of a crisis so the so the voluntary groups in the uk kind of try and fill some of those gaps it's not ideal it's not really the way it should be going it should it should be healthcare professionals and you know there shouldn't really be anybody who is a private lactation consultant that shouldldn't really be a thing you know you wouldn't go for somebody to you wouldn't pay to have private health if you had a heart attack um and infant feeding is, is just as important in, in lots of ways um so yeah it was just really a sense that, that there was a desperate need for support and help and and now i'm trying to do as much as i can while also looking after myself because it's very difficult to meet everybody's needs and for a lot of people you know there's a huge amount of desperation and upset and and you've got to kind of protect yourself a little bit as well um but yeah was, that's that's how i got started so originally a teacher and now i, I can't imagine going back to teaching now because it feels like the world of breastfeeding support is is such an important one Amazing, amazing. Well, I'd love you to go through some of the some of the challenges that you see, I guess, commonly maybe for the mums that or the mums to be that are listening, and 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 whether maybe some of them are, are possible to overcome or or just, yeah. um, or able to persevere, and and where they need to look if this happens to them. Yeah, sure. So I think we can certainly say that the vast majority of women, it is possible to overcome issues. If we look at a country like Norway or a country like Hungary, we can see that really, really high breastfeeding rates at four months and six months and beyond are absolutely possible. You know, we're not different from women in countries that have 95% breastfeeding at six months. You know, we're not physically different from those women. And, and a lot of the things that cause us to get a bit pear, go a bit pear-shaped are based on uh, an assumption of how newborns should behave. And, and not really understanding what's normal newborn behaviour. Now, I, I must aware, I admit I am speaking from a UK context, Karen, so you shout at me if, if this is different in Australia. But what tends to happen here is that people still have messages about the need to control a baby's behaviour. Um, some of the most popular books that we are selling are really focusing on even from the first few days of life that it's about timing it's about making sure babies sleep at a certain time and feed after x number of hours we've even got books telling mums and dads not to pick up babies or, or to make sure that they're independently sleeping and all sorts of funny messages that really don't fit with what we know about the science of newborns about the science of how newborns brains develop you know the importance of physical contact the importance of responsive feeding um, and we've got people who are trying to feed a brand new baby you know no more than once every three hours or no more than once every four hours which is stuff that we had people being told in the 60s and 70s and it led to a huge crash in the breastfeeding rates um, because people were desperately trying to feed their babies on a schedule and, and milk supply just didn't cope with that but now even though we know so much more about how milk supply works and we know so much more about newborn psychology and brain development we've still got people trying to measure measure feed intervals and and thinking that something's gone wrong if they feed after two hours or, or one hour or just not understanding what's normal and people get into a real pickle so 
a lot of the problems I deal with are people who think something's wrong with breastfeeding because the baby's behaving completely normally. So a baby who wants to feed after 20 minutes or 40 minutes, you know, that's a baby who is possibly cluster feeding, sending your body messages to increase your milk supply. Maybe they're going through a growth spurt. Maybe they want to feed for any number of reasons, including just fancying a hug because having contact with you is a huge part of what they need to help them in this new big scary world. You know, we're primates, just like gorillas and, and orangutans, and there aren't many gorilla mummies trying to put their gorilla baby into a separate pile of leaves and, and walking away from them. And, and if we heard of a story in a hospital, of a, in a zoo, if a mum in a zoo had been constantly putting down her gorilla baby and walking away, and you know, the zookeepers would be worried about that gorilla mum. You know, what was that gorilla mum doing? Something's gone wrong with her natural instincts. But that's what we're doing to human babies. We're we're thinking that we're meant to put them down. We're thinking that we're not meant to hold them very often, or we're not meant to let them sleep on our arms. And I think if we just forget all that stuff that some of these books are telling us, and we just say, you know, what this tiny baby? What does this tiny baby want? It wants to be close to us. It wants to feed regularly for lots of different reasons, just as our partners want to hug us and smile at us and communicate to us. That's what babies are doing when they're asking to breastfeed. And we don't count and measure how often our partners have a cup of tea or a sip of water or a meal or hug us or smile at us or show us affection. Um, and we've got women with apps and iPhones and trying to measure how often babies want to breastfeed. And it's just not the way things are meant to go. And we're, we're making lives really hard for ourselves with all this counting and measuring. So a huge part of what I'm doing is going into a home and saying, actually, you know what? That's normal. That's really okay. And that's and this is why it's happening. This is why the baby's doing this. It's not going to be forever. You know, if you were in Tudor times, you wouldn't have got out of bed for the first 40 days. You're not meant to be making moussaka in your kitchen two weeks after the baby's born. You're meant to be just focusing on the baby and having that close contact. And, you know, loads of times mums say, Oh my goodness, thank goodness you said that because I do just want to let my baby sleep on in sleep in my arms. You know, I don't want to keep measuring and counting and that doesn't feel great. And I'm so glad that you've said it's okay, you know, just to sit and hold my baby. And then some mums say, Oh, well, I want to sleep. So what are you saying? If I've got to feed my baby every hour, when am I going to fit the sleeping thing in? So then we talk about um there's a great book um published by the Lecture League called Sweet Sleep. Um, I'm hoping it's available in Australia. If not, I'm sorry about that. All about normal sleep and what you can do to help newborn sleep. And a lot of the times that is about accepting that a baby wants to be in your sleep space. So it's really important that parents know how to do that safely. Um, we've got something in the UK called the NICE guidelines, which oversee our health services. And, and they came out recently in saying that it's very important healthcare professionals don't say to mums and dads, you cannot sleep with your baby or have your baby near you at night time because then people will do that unsafely and without having honest open conversations so we know that about 70 percent if not more of breastfeeding families do bring their babies into bed with them so we need to talk to them about how to do that safely what the bed space should look like you know things about smoking and alcohol and, and why that means bed sharing is not safe where does your bedding go where does baby's bedding go what should the edge of the bed look like all this kind of stuff is stuff that even as a lactation consultant i'm talking about with mums because that means that they can survive the newborn experience you know more likely to come out the end of it feeling feeling happy and safe and secure um, both baby and parents and then as the weeks go by and the months go by you know other problems will result so we might get problems around positioning and attachment you know sore nipples um, sometimes I'm talking to mums about tongue tie which seems to be more of a thing than it used to be um, and referring people for tongue tie procedures but quite often it's just about mums not having seen a baby breastfeeding before 
you know, for lots of us, we grew up in a time when breastfeeding rates were really low. We don't really know how to hold a baby and breastfeed. We, we're getting stuff from videos, but we've never really seen it up close before. So sometimes it's just about me saying something like, you know, actually, if you bring the baby a little bit closer, if you turn their cheek, if you if you lie back a bit more, you know, you may find that you're more comfortable. And, and, and so solving nipple pain is a big thing. Um, and then I, as a lactation consultant, you tend to get the more complex cases. So I'm talking to mums also for mums who've had surgery, um, perhaps who have medical conditions that make breastfeeding a bit more of a challenge. Um, but, you know, there's almost always a way to overcome it. Um, and sometimes people are given information that is very frustrating for us to hear because they're being told things like they can't breastfeed because they're taking certain medication. And it turned out that wasn't the case. Um, or they're told they can't breastfeed because they're going back to work. And, you know, it's very easy to make that work. If you, if you know how to pump and arrange your day. Um, so a lot of it is just about overcoming people's perceptions um, and really making them realize that breastfeeding is absolutely doable and this is how you want to make it work. And, and um, you know, we're designed to do this. It doesn't mean it's easy. Just as we don't expect to give birth by ourselves, we usually have someone with us to support us through birth. We need support through breastfeeding as well. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to work for the vast majority of people if, if, if they have access to the right support. And if things do go wrong, if they know who to ask. So, you know, you've got a great helpline in Australia, phoning the helpline, there's helplines all over the world. Um, you know, the Literature League is active in lots of countries around the world. Um, most countries have got their own breastfeeding charities and, and breastfeeding peer supporters. And then obviously you've got your healthcare professionals, although not all healthcare professionals, unfortunately, have had the breastfeeding training that they wanted. Um, you know, there are some pediatricians and GPs in the UK who are really open about saying, you know, I need to know a bit more about breastfeeding. And, and they're coming to lactation consultants to ask for support. Um, but so, so it's just that sense that you're not alone. There's always someone out there with social media. You can always find a Facebook group. You can always find somebody on Twitter. Um, but don't expect to be able to control this teeny tiny person coming into the world. You know, they are born um, with the product of millions of years of evolution built in. They don't know what a clock is. They don't know that it's only been two hours since they last fed. They don't care. They want to breastfeed for dozens of different reasons and, and some of it's about milk and some of it's about food and some of it isn't. Um, so just try and, and tune into baby, tune out some of the advice that you're getting from other places, you know, talk to your partner, just see what feels right. And often you've got instincts in there too that will help you come to the right answers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you made it really simple when you said that we're so like the gorillas and the orangutans and, um, you know, that we're mammals and, you know, um, that we need to be by our mums and for whatever reason but I also um there's a lot of questions going on in my mind and one being just because of the chiropractor I'm seeing more as well why is there an increase in tongue ties or why do you think yeah people I mean yeah could you shed some light it's interesting isn't it there's a, a lot of people at the moment saying golly you know what's going on so there's a lactation consultant in the UK called Pamela Morrison who used to live in Zimbabwe and she was a lactation consultant for years and and just didn't come across tongue tie and now she's come to the UK and everyone is talking about tongue tie and you know people are saying four in ten babies one in ten babies I can often go to a breastfeeding support group and half the babies there have either had tongue tie dealt with or you know need a tongue tie procedure um so what's going on probably there's a little bit of overdiagnosis going on just because it's a thing that people are now more aware of um and, and some and sometimes what we're finding is that people who aren't very well trained in positioning and attachment 
um, don't know how to solve problems by looking at positioning attachments. So we'll instead look for a tongue tie and very often we'll find a frenulum, but not necessarily realize that that in itself isn't a problem and it's about function rather than appearance. So we've got quite a lot of overdiagnosis around appearance. And things like lip tie is being talked about more. And, and so often that's just about people who don't know how to solve problems in other ways and, and become fixed on one particular thing that they think will solve the issue. Um, and it really positioning attachment support was what they needed. So I, I think there's definitely a big chunk of that going on. Um, but it's also possible there's something else going on as well. Um, you know, there are some theories around folic acid and, and how folic acid um, intake has increased a lot in the last few years. And that encourages closure of the midline to prevent spina bifida. Yeah. But tongue tie is a midline defect and a tongue tie is an early closure of the midline. So potentially um, we're taking the wrong kind of folic acids. I've heard some people say, but I must stress that research isn't confirmed and, and it's absolutely vital that no one stops taking their folic acid to prevent tongue tie because dealing with a tongue tie is a lot easier than dealing with spina bifida. Um, but that is a possibility. I think it's it, I think it's a bit of an unknown. I suspect the overdiagnosis is a big part of it though. And then what, um, I mean, I don't expect a clear um, percentage, but what sort of, you know, numbers, um, you know, of the people that, you know, had a diagnosed tongue tie and then have it clipped or, or lasered would then go on to yeah. breastfeed? Like, is it worth, I mean, is it, you know, do you see that? Is it worth doing it? Treat? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the NICE guidelines, again, that's the guidelines that govern on our health services are saying, you know, the research we've looked at, the majority of people that do have it clipped feel it did it did make a difference to their feeding and it helped. Um, so I think there's no question that, that doing the procedure isn't worthwhile. I think it is. It has a it's a very low risk procedure for a young baby, tiny risk of infection, tiny risk of bleeding. But you know it's it's not a, a procedure that's very scary. It doesn't require a general anaesthetic. I've observed it being done in hospital settings and in home settings. I don't do it myself, um, but I have observed it being done. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it isn't complicated. And I've seen lots and lots of mums, dozens and dozens and dozens who afterwards have been hugely relieved they've had it done. I have also seen some people who've had it done and didn't feel it made a big difference, um, possibly because there was something else going on that wasn't being looked at. As I said, that could be to, partly to do with the overdiagnosis, partly because sometimes tongue function is a bit more complicated than just the the frenulum under the tongue being a bit too tight or too far forward sometimes tongue functions affected for other, other reasons or the baby's palate is still very high and that makes breastfeeding tricky um, but I think there's there's very little reason to say I'm not going to do it because I'm not sure it's going to work if you want breastfeeding to work and, and a professional person has diagnosed a tongue tie doing a really good assessment then I, I, I probably would suggest it's worth going forward yeah and I think it's probably a good point to make that if you find a tongue tie or a lip tie but breastfeeding's going well but it's kind of like if it ain't broke don't fix it right totally absolutely right yeah and the, and there's not research to suggest that we can be confident it will impact on speech or confident it would impact on something else um there just isn't that research there yet so if breastfeeding is going well you know why would you want to be fiddling around with the baby's mouth let, let them get on with it if you're not in pain if the baby's weight gain is okay if the baby's not uncomfortable sometimes the weight gain might be okay but mum might have really sore nipples sometimes weight gain might be okay and mum might be okay but baby might be very uncomfortable or gassy or taking lots of air or clicking while they're feeding so there are different aspects to whether breastfeeding is going well but you're absolutely right if breastfeeding is going well and a baby might have a visibly really obvious tongue tie you know they might have a frenula right at the tip of the tongue but yet it's stretchy and they can move it and they can do what they need to do with their tongue that that isn't a baby that needs to be operated on 
No, exactly. And I think you also hit it on the head before as well when you said it's really a learning curve and it does get easier. Um, you know, I think even just me, the mum of two, that they were both very different um, in, in how often they fed, how much they fed, um, you know, and not so different in size as, in terms of being babies and everything. So I think it's also nice where you said that, you know, everything that's different is also normal. They're also very unique. Yeah, I think the phrase I probably say most in the world is there's a big range of normal. I say that 10 times a day. There really is. And and your baby is almost certainly normal. And if, then, if they aren't, then people can help you. But um, so many people are worried about the normal. They've got their postnatal group. They did their antenatal classes with this lovely new group of, of women and, and dads and, and partners. Um, and that can be a wonderful support. But it's also a constant, oh, my God, my baby's not like that baby. And these three babies do this and my baby doesn't. And this baby sleeps through and my baby doesn't. And, and a lot of people come away from meeting other mums and actually end up feeling quite rough. Um, we quite often get calls on the helpline just after somebody's left a, an antenatal group of you know meet up um, with their post a postnatal group. Um, so it's not always best to compare. You want to try and avoid comparing as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's also a reminder of our you know of our mathematics days of where we get the average from is from that bell curve, and there is a very big range of normal. Uh, yeah, to come up with that with that average, and and what would be some of the things that you would commonly be seeing? Is it that um, it's the it's the latch, or is it that the um, I don't know the mum has injured nipples, or what are some yeah. of the most common things that you see being a challenge? So I, I think soreness and and damaged nipples is probably the most common thing. So that's almost always to do with latching and positioning, um, and. That then, then that leads to block ducts and mastitis. So that's also very common as well. Um, and then we get weight gain issues, um, baby not putting on weight sufficiently, and that's almost always coming back to the same thing again. So if the latch isn't great, you're going to get sore, your baby's going to feed more frequently, you're going to get tired, and the weight gain might be affected. So all, so much of it comes back to the latching. That's a, that's a big part of it. Sometimes it's also the baby not wanting to attach at all. That's not an unusual reason for someone to contact a lactation consultant. So, you know, two, three, four days old, baby still hasn't breastfed at all, despite mum really trying, you know, five, six, seven days, baby still not breastfeeding. Um, and that can sometimes be as a result of something to do with the birth experience. Sometimes it's about um, inverted nipples, but rare, but rarely, almost always that, that can be overcome. Um, and nobody who has, an, you know, a flat nipple or an inverted nipple should think that that's going to make breastfeeding more difficult because, you know, it really is called breastfeeding for a reason. It's not nipple feeding. Um, you just need someone to help you with positioning and, and almost always that will be overcome. Um, and But, yeah, a lot of the time it is um, something that resulted from a latching issue. So something didn't go quite right and maybe it was about the birth as well. So so the birth experience and your choices around birth impact on breastfeeding. Um, the first few days, if your baby's had a certain kind of delivery, you might have a few more challenges to overcome. If you had a C-section, you might find that you need to work on your positioning a bit more or you might need a bit more support to get breastfeeding off to a good start. Um, so, you know, when people think through their birthing, you know, are they going to choose to have an epidural? Do they know the relationship between having an epidural and early breastfeeding? Um, so everything starts with a kind of cascade. Everything from the very beginning is, you know, meant to be pointing the 
baby in a certain direction. And if something doesn't go quite right with the first few days, you, know, you might need a bit of extra help to get there in the end. But almost everybody can if they find the right people to help them. And the right people to help them may sometimes just be their partner or their, or their family, you know, making sure that their family's on side. So one of the reasons that we sometimes get people who are asking for support is because they're getting messages from their mothers or mothers-in-law that are making them feel like, you know, lack of confidence um, and it's, it's it's really important that grannies know what breastfeeding is all about and, and the fact that some of the messages that they got when they were parenting may not necessarily be appropriate now um, and making sure that partners know that you know what's normal for a baby that this isn't about measuring and and counting this is about you know, enabling the relationship between the mother and baby to develop and and finding your own kind of relationship too but that won't necessarily be one that requires you to do any feeding for a long time um you know you'll be buying the hamburgers later on but for now you know you don't need to give a bottle to, to bond with your child your child needs to be helped to to feed in a way that that mum's choosing and, and your job is to support her in doing that yeah i think the thing that that's nice with breastfeeding is you don't know how much they got in actually so it's really a trusting your baby and trusting your own body in the throat yeah you, you can't mm. that yeah, absolutely. And for some women, that's a huge struggle. They really find that difficult. And, and it's not helped because when if you do go into hospital, you know, people are talking about grams and, you know, 30 grams a day and 200 grams a week. And, and look, let's look at this line. So some of us are saying, hey, you know, trust your baby. And, and you know, baby, if everything's normal and in terms of you know, not having jaundice or not having any of the medical problems, baby should be feeding just fine. Trust with it. And then in the meantime, the next person's saying, okay, but how many grams? You know, how, how, what's happening with this line? And those two messages don't really fit together very well. Um, you know, if, if someone's pushing you to think about grams, then you automatically, your brain is starting to think about milliliters. Um, so we need to kind of people just to sort of relax a little bit, understand that the weight charts have a, an important value and they're there to flag up any problems. Um, but that shouldn't dictate the way you think about your baby or, or dictate the way you think about feeding. Um, you know, you're looking at nappies and keeping an eye on nappies and then talking to your healthcare professionals about signs that a baby's taking in milk. It's good for you to know what swallowing looks like so you know a baby's swallowing um it's good for you to know that if you can hear swallowing that's a good sign at the beginning of a feed but you wouldn't expect to hear it throughout the whole feed because as the fat content changes it might get a bit quieter um, so it's good to have some signs of how to keep an eye on things but also you know having faith that if you could create this baby and you could give birth to this baby why would your body let you down for the next bit which is the breastfeeding, you know, and, and that's why in countries where women totally don't even doubt breastfeeding is going to work, we get such high breastfeeding rates in countries where formula isn't really on the table um, for safety reasons um, that, you know, they don't even imagine about boiling water and sterilizing bottles. You know, those are countries that end up with really, really high breastfeeding rates. Um, and that's because women don't even doubt it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think obviously, you know, getting back to work plays a role. You know, certain societies, you know, you're going to be back at work, I think, in America, six weeks or even less. And yeah. where I birth mine, it's 12 weeks. And, you know, I think there's a big drop off at that point as well, just because it's a big commitment to, to then be pumping and around. Yeah. Even if there's a good environment to be pumping in your work, it's a big. Yeah. Or yeah, no, you know, you're right. That is tough. And that for women who know they're going to go back quite quickly, it is difficult to kind of think that through. But actually, just to say that the States have better breastfeeding rates than the UK, we have, you know, six months maternity leave is not uncommon here. Um, but yet the States who may literally be going back at four, five, six weeks have better breastfeeding rates, you know, almost universally across all the States and nationally as well 
better breastfeeding rates at four months, six months than we do in the UK. Wow. So it's good. So it's not yeah. back to work. That's the that in that particular case doesn't appear so. Um, although having said that, though in the UK our law is a bit weird, and then we don't have a sort of set aside protection for breastfeeding in the workplace. We don't have uh, a set aside kind of right to express milk or have breastfeeding breaks. Unlike 92 countries worldwide, we don't have that specific right set down in UK law. Um, but you know, most employers understand that if you're, going, if you're not going to let somebody express, they're going to be pretty uncomfortable by the end of the day and, and staff morale is going to be impacted and, and staff turnover. So most people get that, it, that it's important. Um, but now with you know modern hospital grade pumps and double pumping, it's e- easier than ever to combine breastfeeding and going back to work. Um, so most of the people who are giving up are, are giving up prior to that. They're giving up because they're in pain. They did think that they don't have enough milk because they don't understand the signs of, of a decent milk supply. So lots of women perceive that having a softer breast means something's happened to their milk or when they've stopped, stopped leaking, they think that's a problem. Um, or if a baby's suddenly waking more, they imagine that's connected to the milk supply when actually those things happen for normally for lots of other reasons. Reasons. Um, so a lot of it, I think women have lost confidence even before they're even thinking of going back to work. So a lot of it is about needing people to get information. But the problem is when people are pregnant, they're not always interested in taking in that information around feeding because they're so focused on the birth. Yeah. And the, and wanting and all the classes are around the birth and the labour and the breastfeeding. A lot of people say, you know what, hey, I'll, you know, I'll, hopefully that's going to work, they say. I'm going to give that a try are the phrases that people use. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I'm going to give it a go. Um, and if you're, if you're thinking along those lines already, you're building in an expectation of failure before you've even started. You know, I don't think people train for a marathon and say, hey, you know, I'll give it a go. You know, I'll do all this training. But, you know, if it doesn't work out, no worries. Um, you know, you, you start with an assumption that, you know, what? Well, no, actually, I'm going to make this work. And if I have a problem, I'm going to get some support and I'm going to work out what the issue is and I'm going to run, get through it. Um, and I think it's, so if you if you're determined to make it work, you almost always will be able to. Um, and there is support out there. And people tend to get a bit go a bit pear-shaped when they don't realize they had a problem because they thought normalness was being in pain and they thought they were supposed to feel sore. And then days go by and it turns out that they've got mastitis and their supplies reduced and baby's not putting on weight. Um, or that things go pear-shaped because they thought that they were supposed to be getting their baby to behave in a certain way, that the baby was supposed to sleep for a certain number of hours. And if it didn't, that meant something was wrong. So therefore, they should have to introduce bottles to, to get the baby to sleep for longer. Um, so, so much of it is about understanding what's normal and that it's okay for a baby to behave a certain way. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your milk. Yeah. Sounds like mums need to be more gentle with themselves. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, I think. I think there's a lot of pressure to to get back to the way you were before because that's what you're aiming for, particularly in terms of body image, in terms of the way you look, um, in terms of your relationship, in terms of your friendships. You know, we praise the people who are out and about in Starbucks and talking about politics on day five when actually the people still in their pajamas in week five are the people that probably have got it more along the right lines because, you know, we're just meant to go really slow if you end each day with everybody alive and everyone's fed and everyone's had a little bit of a chance to sleep, great. You know, you don't have to do all these amazing things, you know, in the very, very early days. Just take time to get to know your baby and spend time with your baby and slow down. Um, And also just make sure that if you've got people coming to visit you and you've got guests, that they are the right kind of guests coming at the right time in the right way. I'm so often I'm talking to mums whose in-laws are coming to stay 
in the first two weeks and these women don't even want to breastfeed in their own homes because their their in-laws are right on top of them um you know it's really important that people think all that stuff through i think um before baby comes you know if your in-laws want to come and visit let them stay in a nearby guest house and come and visit you for an hour hour at a time and cook for you and fill the freezer and go away again um, you shouldn't have anyone in your home that you're not happy to breastfeed in front of. Um, you shouldn't have anyone in your home that makes you feel like you're making the wrong decisions. There's just only people that really support you and really know how to help you get through your day. You're dropping so many pearls of wisdom here. Amazing. Um, <laughs> I have that great quote from you, uh, there's a big range of normal, and that's, an, that's a fantastic one. But I'd love to see if you have another quote or affirmation and its meaning to you to share with the listeners. Okay, so there are kind of a couple of different ones. The one that I use a lot in my um, breastfeeding charity work is a really famous quote by Margaret Mead. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it, Karen. The one that goes, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Um, so if things are going badly wrong for women in the breastfeeding world or people aren't getting to meet their breastfeeding goals, you know, we are the ones that will fix that. You know, women will come together um, with help from men too, and we will, you know, we're the ones that will make it make that difference and, and sort that out and fix that, whether it's by, you know, making a new chapter of the La Leche League or whether it's by training as mother supporters and breastfeeding supporters, whatever it will be. Um, and then the other the quote that I say a lot, I say a lot to my own children. I've got two kids. Um, you know, the most important thing in the world is to be kind. That sounds cheesy, but I say that all the time. It's more important than being right. It's more important than being successful in other ways, you know, being kind. And that means trying to look through the eyes of somebody else and understand where they're coming from. And in breastfeeding, that's really important because you, know, you never, ever want anyone to think that a breastfeeding supporter is somebody that imposes breastfeeding on other people. We are the people that absolutely get that how hard it can be. We see the women who are really, really struggling. We see the women who give up. We, we absolutely know how hard it can be. So we are the last people who would ever judge someone who, who doesn't breastfeed or, or who you know, can't make it work. And so being kind is such an important part of um, you know, any work that you do with, with families, especially new families. You talked about being kind to yourself. That's, that's part of it too. Well, they're just so raw after a birth, aren't we? And we're also critical yeah. ourselves to be perfect at you know, yeah. the new motherhood role. I'd love for you to yeah. share um, a struggle with the listeners, um, maybe what you learned from it, whether it was personal or professional. So when I was first teaching in central London, I taught at a primary school that was really tough in terms of the behavior of the children. So lots of children from very, very difficult backgrounds, um, children in care, children who just come out of care, children with a lot of instability in their lives. Um, and, you know, they were in pain, a lot of them, and, and really, really struggling to deal with authority and to come to school. Um, and, you know, we had some pretty crazy behavior stuff happening. I mean, stuff being chucked around, rooms being trashed, a lot of violence between students. And I remember my um, teacher in the room next door to me saying, you know, what would this particular class that you're taking on? Because the last few teachers didn't last and I was sticking at this new job, hopefully for longer than they had. She said, you know, just get through the morning, you know, just just get through the morning and then have lunch and then get through the afternoon. And then it's the end of the day. And the next day you just get through the morning and then you get through the afternoon. She said, don't think two weeks ahead. Don't think a month ahead. Just think one bit of the day at a time. And I think that's true. 
for so many things in life. We're so much focused on, you know, in two years' time I will be doing this and in four months' time this should be happening. But actually just just get through the morning. You know, if you're having a tough time as a new mum, you know, just get get to 11 o'clock. You know, when it comes, if breastfeeding is not going well, you don't have to commit to breastfeeding for six months. Get through today, get through tomorrow, just one half day at a time and, and see where you are. Uh, and actually that particular advice just really helped me get my head down, get to the lunchtime. You know, as it happened, I stayed with that class the whole year. You know, things got much better for them and it was a really successful you know, year at the end of it. That was my first year of teaching. Um, wow. But definitely if, if, if I had tried to do too much too fast, if on that first day I'd said, oh, my God, this is it, I'm never going to cope, you know, it would have been too overwhelming. But just half day at a time got me there. Love that. So, I mean, you do so much and you just dropped uh, that you're a mum of two. What drives you, Emma, to get up in the morning and do what you do? Um, I think it's just that feeling that you don't want people to not have chances. You don't want people to look back with regret. Um, so quite often when I go and visit a mum, the grandparents are there visiting, as I've said. Sorry if I was being rude about it before, but sometimes it can also be a lovely thing when the grandparents are visiting. And I've met some really lovely grand grannies you know, in their 50s and 60s, women who are coming now to support their own daughters or their own daughters-in-law. And quite often those women are really emotional because they're reflecting on their own parenting experiences. So more than once I've been in the kitchen with a granny who's actually come to tears because she's been reflecting on her own breastfeeding experience and, and, and what went wrong with her. Um, and I would hate the women I'm with every day to have that in 20, 30 years time, you know, to look back when they're a grandmother and go, oh, my God, if only I had called that helpline, if only I had gone to that breastfeeding support group, because they will look back and think of missed opportunities and and things that they could have done to, to help things go differently. So I've, so many people have said to me, oh, I wish when I was breastfeeding, there was somebody who could come to my house like you are. Or I wish there was a helpline when I was breastfeeding. And so I just want people to not regret. So that's what gets me up in the day. You know, if I can talk to four women that day, if I can go to a support group and talk to four more, um, I'm just trying to avoid people regretting. That's that's what I'm doing. It sounds a bit negative, but it's it is no, a positive. No, I, I, get it. I really get it. And um, I'm sure you've got lots of advice that you'd want to tell your younger pregnant self or would want to share with new mums, but maybe you could just choose either top one or top three little bits of advice. Yeah, I think, I think the, the absolute first thing I would say to anybody, and I would have said it to myself if I had a time machine, is are you doing this, this particular thing that you think you should be doing because you think you should be doing it or because you really want to do it? So, so many people are, you know, potty training their child at a certain age because they think they should, not because the baby wants it, not because they want it, but because there's this kind of weird external voice of what they should be doing. Do you think you should be putting your baby in a separate place to sleep? Do you think you should be feeding every three hours or you should be putting your child down dressed in certain clothes? clothes or whatever it is is that because you really believe that yourself or is it this, just this weird feeling that that's what you should be doing don't ever do something because you feel you should be no just stop for a minute yeah that's a good way just just look to stop for a second and say is this actually really what I want is this actually really the best thing for my child where did that message come from that I should be doing this where did that message come that I shouldn't be feeding every hour or you know I'm not allowed to sleep with my baby in my bed just double double check that where the messages are coming from is the is the place that fits with what you really believe yeah yeah and um, the best advice that you ever received 
Um, I think it was the probably it was the one about getting through the morning and then getting through the afternoon. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I actually get a sling. And that was the other one. So when I had my th- my three year old and I had a newborn, my husband works really long hours. So I was doing all pretty much all the care of in the evenings um, with just me and my, my newborn and my three year old. Um, if I hadn't have had a sling, I would not have survived. It was just so valuable. So particularly for parents of more than one kid, I would say get on with baby wearing, find out what baby wearing is, get your sling on and um, and you can have a baby attached to you doing what it needs to be doing in the evening, which is often a time when babies are very fussy, while you can put someone else to bed and you can care for your three-year-old or two-year-old at the same time. And if you've got a tw- twins, slings even more valuable. I think they're fantastic. Oh, yeah, hands-free, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, so good. And I'd love for you to share, Emma, some of your invaluable resources that, um, you know, that have helped you through your journey. <laughs> So in terms of books about breastfeeding, I really like um, The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, which is a La Leche League book. Um, I really also like anything by Dr. Jack Newman. So although Dr. Jack Newman's a bit of a character and sometimes he goes off page, I think he is, so much of what he says is so important about breastfeeding and he's just incredibly sensible and, and just really kind of cuts through all the nonsense. Um, there's a website called kellymom.com, which is an American website, which has a terrible name, but has a really, really good breastfeeding website with just lots of evidence-based information. It's not 100% perfect, but it's often what I say to people when they want to look up something, you know, start with kellymom.com. Um, and you'll often get to the right place because it takes you all to different places. Um, and there's also a great lactation consultant called Catherine Watson Jenner. She's got a lovely website. She's written some excellent books, um, particularly looking at babies that are having problems with, with sucking and tongue tie. Um, and there's a book called Making More Milk um, by a lactation consultant called Diana West, which I think is excellent for any women who are worrying about their milk supply um, or may genuinely have issues that they need more support with. She's also got some great resources for women that have had breast surgery as well. Um, um, yeah, she's a great lactation consultant. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and of course, one more question I'd love for you to share how the listeners can best get in touch with you and find out about your services, your book. You did mention the blog. Of course, we want to hear your website and Facebook page and, and all your contacts. Okay, so I'm on Twitter um, as uh, Makes Milk. So look out for at makes milk um, and I'm happy to answer questions on Twitter um, and, and say hello. Um, my website is Emma Pickett. That's Pickett with two T's, Emma Pickett breastfeeding support.com. Um, and there's a blog page there with links to all my, all my articles. Um, I actually don't use Facebook professionally. I probably should have a page, but I'm just worried someone would ask a question. I wouldn't be there to answer it straight away. So I try and direct people to my Twitter and then my book, um, is called You've Got It In You, A Positive Guide to Breastfeeding. Um, and that's available through through Amazon. And um, yeah, so that's also mentioned on my website as well. There's a bit more information about that on my website. And, and people are welcome to email you for support. Yeah, you can just, yeah, email addresses on my website. You're very welcome to do that. Emma Pickett, IBCLC at gmail.com. But if you forget everything, just remember Emma Pickett. If you put me in Google, um, I come up as a breastfeeding person and you'll get to my website that way. Yeah, yeah. Or come back and listen to the podcast again. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. You have really given so much and obviously in the work that you're doing as well. But even just on this episode, the, um, the, yeah, the pearls of wisdom have been amazing. And uh, once again, thank you for making the time uh, with our time zone differences as well. Well, it's been yeah. having you on. Um, no problem. So Pleasure. Saying yes. That's okay, Karen. Thanks for asking. You're Bye. Bye. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.